Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, Mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm super excited to bring to you kind of an old friend, Christine McAllister. Christine is passionate about helping impact-driven entrepreneurs attract their next clients by being value-driven podcast guests. Over the years, she's generated over a million dollars as podcast guests, and she's been recognized as the best in the world at podcast guesting by seven-figure founders. She's a media expert for over two decades and has helped broadcast the Olympics, produced an award-winning documentary, and has been featured in Inc., Business Insider, Bustle. I mean, the list goes on. And she's also been on hundreds of podcasts, including Entrepreneurs on Fire with John Lee Dumas. In addition to hosting her top-rated show, No One's Ever Asked Me That. So welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I am thrilled, thrilled. I'm super excited. And on top of it all, I forgot to mention she is also a mom. So of course. But I wanted to kick this off with asking, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Oof, that is a great question. I'm gonna have to think about that. Discovering that my daughters really like to sing along to the CD that my parents gave them and that they actually will sing in unison and super duper enjoy it. It's a VeggieTales CD. Like number one, I don't buy CDs. Number two, I, I forgot say, the car had a CD, own a CD player. No, yeah. in the car. Right? Oh, I forgot but about they, that. <laughs> they brought it over and like taking the girls to school, it just became like this really peaceful thing. And it was really adorable and like sweet and uh, just very different than how that ride normally goes. And so I was super happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I can't get out of my head veggie tales, veggie tales. Nope. Although my kids actually have never watched that, but I remember that even like when I was a teenager or whatnot. Yeah. So do they sing? Are they, you know, into that or is it just something that's been newly discovered? They I think got some level of performing gene from me. I love to perform, like I love to speak, I love to be on stage. And uh, I was a theater nerd. And they have started doing what I did as a kid, which is like putting on shows and lining up people, as many people as they can, and probably also some stuffed animals and then like dancing and singing and doing shows. So, yeah. Oh, well, on that note, to give the audience a little bit of context, how many children do you have their ages and what are kind of the roles that you and your partner play in parenting and the house? Oh, Great question. So this is, yeah, this is a fascinating kind of, I guess, exploration. But uh, I, so trigger warning, I have two kiddos earthside and one in heaven, which we can dive into if you want. And I have two little living girls, three and six. 
And for me and how I'm wired, it's pretty full on. So their dad has a very traditional nine to five, always has, and I've always been very entrepreneurial. And so since becoming a mom, this business is like kind of has the added mm, pressure isn't the right word, but I'll use it of also being somewhat of a legacy project for my late daughter to keep her memory alive. And so my work is deeply important to me and I've, and continue to confront a lot of the norms that I was brought up with around what it means to be a good female, a good mother. And to me, figuring all of that out, figuring out how to parent, how to be present is the hardest thing I've ever done. So I'm an oldest married to a baby. So the baby knows how to play. The baby chills when he's off the clock. Right. And mommy's always on a call in my head. Let's be (laughs) honest. You know, exactly. I do want to touch on your first child. But before I do that, you mentioned something about, you know, your upbringing and your norms and stuff. And so explain to me, go a little deeper into what that meant. I know I've seen, but the audience doesn't know that, you know, you grew up in a very traditional Christian family. Yeah. And so I want to kind of tap into that because there are a lot of moms too that are exploring differences in spirituality, differences in beliefs, and kind of talk to me about, you know, what your pre, I guess, mom life or your upbringing to like where you are today in terms of you know, your belief system? Yeah, this, this is a great question because it's, it's very much evolving and really has evolved the most through the lens of, of my big T trauma. I grew up, yeah, in church, every time the doors open, I grew up in purity culture. I grew up thinking like that if I was the best Christian and the best member of purity culture and the best high achiever, whatever, then somehow I picked up that that was going to give me a good life, a happy life, right? Like just win at, at all of those things. And so I set about doing that and did everything that I could really to, to play by those rules. I was actually like a pretty like uptight, judgmental kind of person, black and white type of type of human, um, you know, kind of like the 80 year old, 16 year old, right? Like the fuddy duddy. So I play by all the rules, did everything quote unquote, right. Right. And it really it wasn't until I lost my first daughter that I went, what am I doing? And I really started to question everything because I knew that figuring all this stuff out for myself was going to be the key that to surviving that loss, as opposed to the pat answers that I was getting, which didn't sit with me. So I grew up with a dad in corporate and a mom who was climbing the corporate ladder until I was born. And then came home because that's what they believed was right and the best. And so I just had this realization Sunday. So this is is like (laughs) hot off the press that I have not had a model in my life, a female model, any generation that I know of my lineage, my ancestry, who was financially independent and, or made more than a teacher's salary. Wow. So you're the generation breaker. Yeah. Wow. And it has been incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to challenge all of those norms, right? Of, of, of the history, but recognizing, oh, maybe this is part of why it's so hard. is actually helpful to me. 
Right. How are those people accepting of kind of your path that you took? And were you ever intending once you had, you know, your first had everything gone as planned? Yeah. Were you going to, you know, quit working, do all that? Like a lot of us faced with that decision of becoming a mom, becoming a mom of one, two, three, and realizing like, huh, maybe this isn't working for me anymore, but not sure that the next step of staying home is going to be fulfilling, but also not sure kind of what to do. So how did you, you know, and and also external pressures oh my gosh. of what's expected of you. And then coming for you, like for me, it's the Asian culture that was, you know, imposed on me. But for you, same thing, kind of like religion and beliefs. So, you know, how did you go about that? It is, it is still an undoing. And I just said to one of my coaches who was using the butterfly metaphor with me, I was like, well, you know what? I do feel like I've been put in a blender and don't caterpillars liquefy themselves when they come out as those beautiful butterflies. So let's just see what comes out of the blender, right? So no illusions that, you know, because I run a business, like, right, it's awesome. Like I, I really, really have deeply struggled with this. When my first living daughter was born six years ago, I dealt with constant guilt, constant guilt, no matter what I was doing. I couldn't really give myself permission at that time to take a break from the business. I was too scared I would tank it. And I couldn't really give myself permission to be in the room with her when I was with her because I was too scared to not be working. And I mean, that drove me to burnout. That drove me to overwhelm. A lot of this, a lot of my lessons I feel like to learn are trust and being like the complete opposite of how I've been rewarded for behaving in my life, both by myself and others. Right. But to answer your question about like how people perceived it, it's been mixed. Like, I think some of it is, frankly, people might be scared to give me their opinion because after Maeve died, I was just like, I'm done being a pe- like at a level, being a people pleaser, being codependent, being the nice girl. Like, y'all going to have to figure your stuff out because I'm not sure I'm getting out of bed today. So that's really interesting. And I want to touch on that is that you took all of these things, you you know, you've been talking about different stuff and you took it into your own hands and you made positive changes versus some people could crawl into the hole, become molten lava and never emerge as a butterfly. Instead, they could become, I don't know, metaphor dirt or whatnot. And you took it to something different. What was that that you think fueled it? And like, you know, what could other people do or where, where did you look for that source of not inspiration, but just, you know, within yourself, what was that like? I think it was at least twofold. I think number one, I realized that I had been living and playing super small out of fear. And I couldn't imagine anything worse happening that I could be more afraid of than this. Like I would much rather have died if I could trade places with her. So there was that. It was like, am I really going to keep worrying about what other people think when now I have this label on my head of being the girl with a dead baby? And I have to renegotiate every relationship in my life anyway, right? And then also, I, I really became aware that this, this, was, this was the fork in the road for me, that this ends a lot of people. And I mean, I don't believe in ranking grief, but I did find comfort in this. Someone told me early on, like, Psychiatrists rank this as the worst loss you can experience because it's backwards. Because she, I didn't, I don't have any memories with her, right? Except whatever she did or didn't do when I was pregnant with her and I was super sick. So I was like, not having, not living my best life during those nine months anyway. 
And I was like, I'm either going to lock myself in a room and numb out for the rest of my life. And I get why people do it. I get it. I don't judge it. That could very easily be me. Or I'm going to create something because that's the only way I know to parent her. I'm going to use this as a reason to do some good in the world, to play big and to hopefully make her proud, right? Because I don't want people to forget her and, and this gets to be a passion project. I mean, that's, that's really how it started. This is survival. And then leaning into this, like I've, I knew all along that I was meant to do something big, but I was comfortable enough not to do it until that happened. And the universe gave you a why. Exactly. And I could, you can make meaning, whatever meaning you want out of anything. But in, in part of my searching, one of, one of the understandings that I came to, to touch on like my spiritual journey, as you mentioned, is like, I believe that one of her roles was to wake me up. And so what am I going to do with that? Right. Wow. Oh, and I was going to say, I know there was probably like an elephant in the room because we didn't really touch on what happened. I don't really need to go into too many details because people can look at your hundreds of other podcast interviews where you do, but just like a brief thing to give the audience a little bit of context about surrounding your first child. Yeah. So I had had um, infertility and PCOS, three early miscarriages, and then had, you know, taken fertility drugs, had a perfect pregnancy with her for her, not for me. I was very sick. My body and pregnancy are not like best friends. I do not glow. I throw up the whole time. Was it IVF or I'm just curious because I had PCOS. I went through the whole fertility thing also, but I ended up not having to do IVF. So I'm curious. Yeah. The ironic thing that the specialist told me was, well, Christine, like after the miscarriages, well, we know that you can get pregnant. Yeah. We just need to Which keep you hope. pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, it was, it was just medications and, uh, to your point, like what you're doing, which I'm so excited that you're doing it to, to this holistic idea of wellness. I had a healer who I worked with after my six-year-old, cause I got extreme postpartum anxiety and it was like crippling and debilitating. And it was my hormones doing what they do. And we worked together mapped my hormones, made some food and whatever changes. And I had a regular period for the first time since I was probably 15. Wow. So over 20 years. And then I got pregnant with a three-year-old without any drugs. And now I still have a regular period. I do too. Yes. My third was a total accident. I mean, I feel like bad saying that. Okay. So I hope she doesn't listen to this in the future. I was at 11 months postpartum with my second and thought to be my last. I thought I was going to have two. I had a boy. I had a girl. You know, we had them three years apart. It was like the perfectly planned thing. And especially because I was using fertility drugs. So it's like I perfectly planned it. At like 11 months, I somehow got pregnant, but didn't know for eight weeks because I hadn't had actually a period yet because I was breastfeeding and I thought my hormones were all over the place. And I mean, honestly, I didn't even think we had sex because I was all over the place. So when I found out like I didn't feel good and found out I was pregnant, my husband's first comment was, I thought your your uterus was broken. I was like, I thought so too. But, and now (laughs) she's like the best, but also the craziest of our three. (laughs) But anyway, to your point, it's like your body suddenly figures it out. It's like, oh yeah, I can do this. It's like training. 
It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. So anyway, so back to your story. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. You were saying that you had a healer. Yeah. So we're able to like whatever we need to do to support my body so that it could heal itself, you know, right. which I think like the alternative stuff. I mean, the doctors told me I would never have a regular period. The doctors told me I would, they weren't sure if I could get pregnant. Right. And this, that's going to be your lot in life. But like what, you know, from alternative you know, wellness and ways to, to support that is like, that's just not true. And so I have a huge passion and belief in, in what you're doing because healthcare is not designed for women and we, we need more awesome, empowered experts to, to change that. So thank you. Well, and then back to, I was going to say your story. So you were, I read somewhere, you were 37 weeks pregnant and you went into labor after a perfect pregnancy. I went to one of my last doctor's appointments and there was no heartbeat. That's how I found out. Like the car seat was in the car. It was two days after our like weekend of baby showers where everyone had, you know, come in, flown in, driven in, whatever. And uh, yeah, we went to the doctor and put the, put the sonogram on and you couldn't find it. And you know, this is a full-term baby, like not hard to find the heartbeat at that point. Right. Did you have any like internal gut feelings at all or no? I'm curious if you were like in touch with that, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was pretty, I was very challenged by pregnancy because I was so sick. I became, I got, I had very bad pregnancy depression and I was terrified that I was going to be a terrible mother. I hadn't figured out like my role and like work versus baby and, you know, it's first one and all the things I didn't, I had not really have support for any of that. So most of it was internal. And, and I also resisted all of the people telling me that I needed to control my body in the following ways, all of the rules. I hated the rules and basically just set out to like disband or break down each and every one of them. Cause I thought it was BS and I was tired of being treated like, uh, a member of a herd of cattle, right? Like going through this assembly line is my perception. And then I also was like, I was really tired after those showers. And so I had noticed that she was quiet, but I was like not doing the militant kick counting thing. Like I was doing hypno babies and they were like, if you want to do it intuitively, you can. And that resonated with me more. Right. And so I was like, I'm tired. Baby's got to be tired. Right. So I, I, I didn't really have a sense because I wasn't hyper vigilant like I was for the following two, where I was like, I'm going to the ER because it's been one minute. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and, and they're going to admit me. <laughs> I became quite an advocate for myself. No, that's actually a good point is to be a good advocate for yourself. I feel like in healthcare right now, that's something you really need. And actually to touch on that, like I felt off after my third pregnancy and my PT who I was going to literally kept telling me, maybe you should journal more because I think you're just holding up like stress or something because I was having pains. And she's like, I think these are like not phantom pains, but I don't think anything's wrong with you. No, I had 10 centimeter sized tumors on my ovaries. So to your point, you really need to advocate for yourself and don't like be afraid to be that person who's like in the ER because you just never know. But you were saying about support. And I think that's like important for moms, you know, to have your support system. What does that look like now, many years later? Yeah, I have learned to really 
cultivate relationships with other moms to run advice, whether it's coaching or strategy or any of that through the lens of like, do they have any idea what my life is like? And if not, to be frank, I'm not really available for it. And so that's looked like a variety of coaches and therapists and I mean, healers for me, healers for the girls, like natural, all, all the different remedies. Like I'm just here for all of it. I think oh, I love the, it. <laughs> the thing that, it's so fun. We can totally jam out on that. I was going to say, I love it because like, you're so open-minded about everything. And I feel like a lot of people are stuck. You said in that sort of routine, this is the way it's supposed to be done. So I love that, you know, you've embraced different aspects and are trying things. You know, what really resonates with me and I'm curious if it resonates with you is this whole idea of remembering, right? So we're remembering essentially these natural remedies, all of this stuff were taught in medical schools right alongside pharmaceuticals until like a hundred years ago as being as efficacious as taking a pill, right? And there, you know, Rockefeller came in and decided, Hey, how can we get petroleum and how can we create more verticals? and pull all the natural stuff out of med schools threatened to, if you don't, if you don't pull that curriculum, we're pulling your funding. Right. You had the power to do it. Right. It's all about, yeah. Well, I said, healthcare is all about money now, which is exactly sad. like <laughs> it's a business. It's a business because capitalism. I know when I was like, all I want to do is help people like help people get right. better. But I think on remembering another like thing that makes me think of though, is also remembering generational kind of like whether it's trauma or stuff that's happened. I think for me, I've learned a lot about my own kind of past, not like, I mean, previous, like, like generations above me of things that might have happened or reasons that why now I'm carrying this, like carrying these things. And so it's interesting because I feel like you said you're breaking, breaking the habits of generations. I feel like doing this work does help do that and stop so that your children don't inherit this. So that's very interesting. Oh my gosh. Like all the limiting beliefs that I'm working on clearing and like, yeah, the stuff that's somehow in my DNA, right. That it, I never have experienced a perception of, of, of real lack around money, scarcity, those types of things. Like that has not been my experience. I'm very grateful to be able to say that. And my nervous system operates like I am one of my around money, like I am one of my ancestors who had to eat dirt during the potato famine, huh. like legit. Wow. And so there's so much work that I've been doing over the last seven and a half years around creating a sense of safety because that very much exists, even though it hasn't in my lifetime. That's so fascinating. So I guess on that point, like, are there any practices or I, I guess I can call them self-care or like things that you do daily for yourself in order to kind of like nourish that, nourish yourself, bring you more, like make you a better mom, wife, business owner, all of that. Like, are there any practices that you do daily? You know, I, I like to mix it up because if I start putting like, this is going to be the same thing every day on my calendar, then I rebel against my own <laughs> Yeah, You don't like to be in a box. <laughs> Which is great and very helpful. But I, I know more what I think and what I feel when I write about it, uh, when I talk about it. And so processing in those two ways, my very active mind, I love to spin things up. 
So getting them out. I guess what are your top top three things you enjoy doing? Yeah, so totally. So journaling, right? Writing, writing about it, talking about it. I would say also having done mindset work for so long, like really leaning into this, this somatic body-based stuff, getting out of my head into my body, whether that's through, I used to be the kind of person that was like, if I'm not going to be sweating in a hardcore cardio session, then what's the point of working out? Like yoga, right? Now I'm really leaning into like (laughs) all the trauma informed things that I've learned around getting into my body, moving to move the cortisol and the adrenaline through, right? And, and embracing the, the simpler things like that, that actually, actually really help instead of just sitting there being like, no, I need to think better. Yeah. Do you do any sort of like anything with your kids too, in terms of like practices to instill in them? Yeah. So I just discovered last night, my kids go to a Montessori school and I just discovered last night that in my six-year-old's new classroom, every Friday they do a meditation. Oh, wow. And apparently there's a deck and she said, we lay on the floor and the teacher pulls a card and reads and we do what's on the card. And I was like, okay, thank you, Montessori. I love you wow. anymore. But then my daughter, and I, maybe she saw this on TV, but she sat in like the lotus position with her fingers her, you know, thumb and forefinger index finger touching. And she said to her younger sister, like, here, let's sit like this and meditate. And I was sitting behind them, like beaming with pride because I didn't teach them that, but we do bedtime meditations on insight timer. Favorite one that you use on insight timer. There's so many, it's like thousands. I get overwhelmed by it. So I'm curious. I know. Yeah. I kind of go with the, I let them choose. So I think it's usually based on the picture. But you typically, like, I think there's the unicorn. There's one about unicorns that tends to be really popular in my house. And I think it's called the unicorn sleepover. Mm. So you can check that one out. And then I learned also from Insight Timer, you know how in through your nose, out through your mouth is like an activator for your, for your, to calm your fight or flight. Yes, well, your parasympathetic somebody, nervous system. <laughs> I always get it wrong. Yes, it's the parasympathetic para, nervous system. What I mean, sympathetic. And yes. so I was like, I'm sympathetic just not going to say thank like, you. Fight or flight. Parasympathetic is the calming one. <laughs> Backwards to me because sympathetic. So anyway, sounds like, oh, sympathy. So I need to just remember. It's the opposite, Christine, of what you said. Yes. So they call it dragon breath. Ah. So I got the three-year-old to start breathing that way after trying to, you know, with ration to explain to her. Nah, she could care less. But when I was like, let's breathe like a dragon. <laughs> do it all day long. That's so awesome. That I'm going to have to try that one. because I was like, we tried that. I tried the like breathe in through or like, you know, with a straw and out like a balloon, mm-hmm. but like that eh, kind of hit or miss. I'm going to have to try the dragon one. Dragon. Try the dragon. So I was curious about you. This was your why you're, you want to leave a legacy. Where are you at in your business now? And like, you know, how, cause I, your company was life with passion and now it all kind of, all the pieces go together and it makes sense. You know, how has your business evolved over the years and where are you at now? Especially being a mom, mom with two kids at home. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So where I, what I'm working toward right now is having a, a business that essentially exists during, they're going to both be full-time at the Montessori uh, in January. So I, to have it exist within those time parameters um, while they're at school. And, you know, that that has looked like 
getting more support in terms of team and stuff like that, then they say you should because momming, right? So that, that has been huge and, and really learning ways to, to keep on dialing in like exactly what it is that we do to now it's very, very niche. And so I'm, I'm somebody who's a connector. So now I get to do this thing where I don't feel like there's a perceived competition with anyone. I do want, I have one lane. And if you need help with something else, I probably know someone for it because I love people and relationships. Right. And so I feel like we're very similar in that. <laughs> I know I love, I love connecting. That's my thing. It's I'm like, best. Oh, do you know them and them and them? And yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's what I want to model for the girls is like, you can have a business that's relational. You can have a business that isn't transactional. Like, and eventually, you know, I love, I love speaking as we talked about. And so my grand vision is, is to be like consulting and speaking in person, taking them and like an educator on the road and world schooling them. So it might start over the summers, you know, a little bit at a time, but really being able to model this idea of not just moms working in the basement, helping people, not that that's a just, but like, let's model how you do this on your own terms. So consulting and really like doing that with leaders so that ripple effect, right? Oh, that's incredible. Well, to wrap things up, I want to ask a couple last questions. And like, what is one piece of advice that you think you would offer to moms out there who might be on their beginning journeys, say going off after becoming a mom and starting their own company? What's one piece of advice you give to them on this journey of, you know, being kind of a working mom? I think it's to be very selective about who you listen to, especially in the online space. There's so much noise about what you should do. And when you start out as, as it does, you, you, as we all do, you want to model yourself after somebody, right. Who, who has been there, done that you feel like gets you. That is not going to be the loudest people or the people with the biggest ad budgets that you see online. It's just not. And most of the highest earning income, net worth, high net worth individuals, income earners, entrepreneurs, large majority of them are supported by a stay-at-home spouse. And so when you take their advice, you are setting yourself up for burnout and unsustainability. So you really, really, really encourage you, like find people who you feel like get you, who also get your stage of life, because you can't, you know this, if you, as a new mom, you can't possibly understand what it is like until you do it. Nothing. I don't care if you were a nanny your whole life, nothing can prepare you for being a mom. Right. Exactly. And then lastly, what do you think is the superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at business or life? Ooh, that's such a great question. I think it was beginning to understand the power of choice that we have it. I am still learning this lesson like on the daily. And it was the first time in my life that I went, I can choose how to look at this. I can choose the path and I get to choose every single bit of this. And it is not fatalistic. It is not predetermined. It is not this matrix that I grew up believing in. It is so much bigger than that. And I can choose like what to put my focus on. I love that because I think 
It put the power in you versus putting the power externally. And so that was kind of in my head. I was like, oh, that's where she shifted. You know, when she realized that instead of working with the power surrounding her, instead she took it into her own hands. So that's amazing. Oh, I love this conversation, Christine. Thank you so much. Where can we find you online? Mm, So... (laughs) I know this everywhere, is really but you know, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my whole jam is like helping people be good podcast guests because I believe it's a tool for healing like ourselves in the world, like full stop. And so probably the best, like one place that gets you into all the other places is a training I have on how to do that. Well, and it's at lifewithpassion.com slash profit. And that will hook you into everywhere that I am. If you want to hang out. I know. I mean, she's like a podcast guest everywhere, but also teaches the most amazing things. So if anyone's out there who does want to be a podcast guest, definitely sign up for Christine's free training and check her out online. Thank you so much for everything. I loved our conversation and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.